This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora. My name is Hafsa Ahmed, and I am an academic at Lincoln University who likes to do things differently. In this podcast, I will have conversations with my peers at Lincoln University, and we will uncomplicate their research. So thank you, Chad, for agreeing to interview for Influencers at Lincoln. You are very new to Lincoln, so tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, you're right, I'm very new to Lincoln. I'm four months into the role now, having started in September. And uh, it is very interesting in terms of coming to a land-based university and becoming familiar with who does what, um, what the focal areas are, um, and especially across my portfolio, which is um, essentially the, the staff of the university, to come to grips with um, their desires, their directions, um, and align those with the fairly significant strategy that's been put forward for growth uh, for Lincoln University. What attracted me here, um, it, it was um, a, an interesting path. I was invited to apply for the role by um, the headhunter on the basis of another role that I interviewed for. And what, what started as, that's interesting, sure, I'll, I'll take a look, became a very, um, a very useful endeavor to try and link with the university, find out what its strategy was. And then the discussion that I had with the vice chancellor, with Grant, gave me um, great, uh, great interest in how we make that change, how we shift into this growth mode. Um, it's very... It's very aggressive strategy. It's certainly a very, um, uh, it, it presents a number of challenges for the leadership, but also for the university itself. Um, is it achievable? I certainly think so. Uh, and I believe it's, it's sufficiently detailed that we can actually pursue outcomes, but simultaneously it's broad enough that we have the ability to navigate our way through that. Um, about 20 years ago, I worked at a, a similar university, but it was it was marine in focus. So Lincoln University is very, very land-based, very terrestrial. Um, Australian Maritime College was the same thing, but it did everything for the ocean. Um, and uh, it, it has a very familiar feel. And it's a lovely environment in terms of the staff and the students are quite quite friendly with each other. Um, everybody is very welcoming, and um, and we we actually do research that has impact on society. And then you've spoken briefly about uh, your background in marine. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? Because I'm quite intrigued by you know the shift from marine to land. Well. Yes. So um, when I was about five years old, I, I was growing up at, um, in Lake Tahoe, which is um, in California, at the top of, of the mountains, about 2,000 meters, um, and absolutely fell in love with the ocean. Lake Tahoe is a very large lake, freshwater body, 
with a large number of introduced species, interest, interestingly. Um, the, um, that experience, and of course I grew up during the Jacques Cousteau era, so the fo- uh, falling in love with the ocean um, and really deciding at, at the age of five that I was going to be a marine biologist, um, and then pursuing that throughout my life has been wonderful. But as I've, I've progressed both in terms of the science and the research, um, I've increasingly been focused on non-native species and biosecurity. And the consequence of that is I've worked in government, I've worked for government, um, and I've educated people in biosecurity practices, which means you start to realize a number of things. One is um, the biosecurity practices on land and in freshwater and on marine have differences and therefore the opportunity to combine them and link them in, in you know, developing best practice is critical. Equally, a lot of the work that I've done over the last 20 years has been very much focused on the vectors that species get moved around, ships. Um, and so many, um, many pieces of that work actually are not are not underwater per se, but they're actually dealing with the data associated with trade logistics. Um, And then during the period of time working in government, um, I began to work on policy and legislative um, elements, including international treaty. Uh, So the appreciation that uh, it's not only the science that's important, but it's also how people feel about it, how quickly industry can adapt to it, and how we can bring all the various value sets to the table in terms of decision making um, has has really led me down a path where I'm, I'm sort of uh, agnostic around what species I'm interested in, what vectors are, are of relevance, and despite the fact that I think the salty water is, is the best, um, what biome that those species are, are in or in fact impacting um, equally is irrelevant because these are species that don't belong where we've moved them and what are our responsibility sets to actually do something about it. Wow, that is incredible. I have a follow-up question to that because you've you've got so much experience in the marine space and and around the understanding of that. So what has been the biggest surprise in shifting from that knowledge that you had around marine to a land-based university which is specialised in the land? Well, again, I, I guess the subject matter expertise that I bring in biosecurity isn't really what I'm applying now. I maintain my research focus and much of my my focus is on a 30-year data set that I play with. So, you know, it's that's fine. I can continue to be a marine person evenings and weekends usually. But the opportunity to um, apply the knowledge set that I have around leadership um, and, and um, motivating academics, supporting academics, um, supporting students, is is really what I'm bringing to bear here. Um, so shifting to a land-based university isn't the issue. It's really how we operate, how we 
uh, ensure academic quality in, in our teaching and learning, um, getting uh, academics to be motivated by research opportunities um, and providing them the support necessary to, to pursue those um, is, is really the, the space that I'm operating in. As I said, we have some pretty strong growth targets. Those growth targets can easily be translated. We want to grow the number of PhD students, both domestically and internationally. Uh, we want to link those PhD students much more strongly with outcomes. Um, that means working in partnership with CRIs, with industry, with government, um, with international uh, partners. And clearly, um, we need to remain at the cutting edge of what we teach our undergraduates. So we have a very strong focus on research-led teaching. Therefore, as we do better research, as we engage more broadly with stakeholders, we have the ability to identify new opportunities for courses. And you've spoken about research-led teaching plus engagement with stakeholders. How much, how much impact do you think Lincoln University creates within its set of stakeholders that it's interacting with? Um, Lincoln University is a small university. It has very tight focus. It has very strong relationships with with stakeholders. Um, I've spent a little bit of time, I am only four months in, but a little bit of time with alumni. Um, and the alumni that Lincoln produces are very strongly represented within leadership of industry. And that's not just here in New Zealand, but globally. The consequence of that is we, we have far-reaching impact, not only in industry, but also in governments, um, in conservation process, in land management. Um, we have uh, research leaders that have entered into academia, but also industry-led research organizations. It is amazing to see how much impact Lincoln has. That's through the alumni alone. Mm -hmm. If you begin looking at the uptake of research, both in terms of a commercial um, R&D context, but equally in terms of the publications and how they're used by governments in setting policy, uh, Lincoln hits well and truly above its weight, not just on par with New Zealand, but much higher than the other universities in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. All right. So my follow-up question, and I'm, I'm taking your point that you mentioned about growing the student numbers here, and I guess we are in the optimal space now with COVID restrictions removed and, and we are having more, you know, more students who are willing to come here. Is there anything specific that we are pursuing in terms of the type of students who we want to attract? Uh, so the type of students that we want to attract are motivated students. Um, clearly, if you're going to pursue higher education, it is useful for you to be committed to, to doing that. But we do re realize or recognize that, that as we've moved through COVID, uh, the last two or three years worth of activity, 
people have changed. People's expectations have changed. And we're much shyer of being together in a face-to-face context. We're still having some level of social distancing. But equally, the flexibility that we've realized, both in terms of work practice, but also in terms of our learning practice, has enhanced the need for us to be adaptive to that environment. Um, Clearly, our preference, um, especially as a a hands-on, applied, land-based university, is to have students face-to-face, and we'll be pursuing that. But Lincoln University has also invested quite heavily in um, the development of specifically online courses that are available for, uh, for individuals who actually are not present in Canterbury or perhaps are present but have justifications for remaining at home, whether that's they have a, a job that they have to go to, whether that's um, they're a single parent. Um, we have adapted to some of the flexibility options that, that existed through COVID. We've demonstrated we can do it. We've also developed best practice to be able to do that. So what are the three most exciting things that you expect in 2023 for Lincoln? Oh, there are a couple of things that I'm quite um, excited about. The One of the focal areas within the um, strategy for the university is the development of meaningful partnerships. And for us, we've initially focused ex- explicitly on the relationship between the university and CRIs. Um, ag research is in the midst of completing a build um, in, in front of our new build, which will give partnership direction. Um, and we will be the only university in New Zealand with a CRI's head office on our campus. The relationship with ag research is absolutely critical, but equally across the road, we have plant and food research and down the road, we have uh, Manaki Fenua. So the opportunities for us to engage strongly and deeply uh, are, are present. We just have to take advantage of the fact that that proximity has meaning and value. Equally, um, Lincoln University is the, uh, is the first and only Australasian university to be a member of the EuroLeague of Life Sciences Universities. This is a suite of universities in Europe who all are focused on life sciences of one shape or another. And my desire is to develop a much stronger relationship with those universities, both in our undergraduate and our postgraduate um, students for student mobility, but also staff research opportunities. The ELS network, as they call themselves, is, um, is very strong in terms of agriculture and life sciences. Uh, most of them are in the top 25 in the world. Uh, as you know, Lincoln University's aspiration is to become one of the top five universities. So interacting with people, uh, with universities, with institutions who have achieved that status is one mechanism to, um, to grow our strengths and learn from them. 
So that equally is a, a focus for 2023. Um, I think in, in terms of um, strategic um, actions, we're in the middle of um, recruiting for a new dean of um, environment, sport, and design. And we'll go to market early in the new year. But equally, um, the dean of agriculture and life sciences uh, will depart at the end of 2023. And so we've begun the recruitment process for that role as well. Um, and then the university is very strongly focused on developing a bicultural campus. So we've uh, a suite of programs um, called Fenakiake that are about recruiting new Maori academics um, into the three faculties, but also in terms of growing our Maori student numbers, um, especially in the postgraduate space. Um, initially next year we'll begin with honors, but very clearly we're interested in growing them into masters by research and PhD. So coming back to the question of um of, of staff of university because you said that is your area of focus. Yeah. Have you um, heard from staff recently or have found out about their desires and their motivations and their alignment with the strategy? Because you're saying that you're going to have two new deans reporting to you next year, perhaps. How do you see that and how do you wish that, you know, you navigate that in terms of maintaining stability? Well, it's, it's interesting. One, one um, has said that the, um, the university sector is in a constant state of disequilibrium. Um, now, that doesn't sound terribly comforting, but on the other hand, the pursuit of new knowledge and, and specifically research is very much about the exploration of the possible. Um, you do not have a guaranteed finding. You do not have a guaranteed outcome when you do cutting edge research. What you do do is you learn new things. And to some extent, the, the strategy of the university in terms of growth, in terms of better assets, in terms of partnerships and relationships, um, in terms of, of higher quality research and, and therefore rankings, is in keeping with what universities do. The challenge that we have is coming out of COVID, everyone is very tired. And I think many of the academics have sacrificed significantly to develop alternate teaching models and make sure that students receive the quality education that they need to. Sometimes that has been done at the cost of, of research activity. What we need to do is support them in achieving the research outcomes that, that they desire and that they want. But equally, the, the challenge that we've faced um, is that COVID has also slowed down the upskilling and the updating of other processes as well. So as you know, we've, we've just gone through a consultation process specifically around academic promotions. 
And one thing that that made me abundantly aware of is that the alignment between various pieces that we expect academics to isn't isn't terribly good, right? So we do an, an annual PDNA, which is professional development and um, assessment. And yet when people go for promotion, the PDNA has not necessarily aligned to what you need to write for the promotion case. So you have to do additional work. Um, and then the government has imposed the PBRF, the Performance Based Research Fund, where we have to write a portfolio. And that's not aligned to promotion, nor is it aligned to the PDNA. So if we can simplify this so that every time you have to project a goal setting exercise or you project or you evaluate yourself on performance, that you're doing it in such a fashion that you can accumulate that into the next step. And if you do that, then you can accumulate it to the next step. So I think simplifying how we do it and aligning those processes is going to be a, a real strong focus. Not terribly strategic in, in terms of big thinking, but it is strategic in terms of alleviating some of the, the workload pressures. So my question to you now, Chad, is about, you know, you talked about PhD students coming to Lincoln. How do you see a PhD? What, is, what does it mean to do? Uh, you're, you're going existential on me. Um, so for me, a, a PhD is an interesting degree in that it's, it's probably, it's certainly perceived as kind of the last vestige of the apprenticeship model from the medieval universities. The challenge we have with the modern PhD is the perception in the public and um, oftentimes the perception in government is that you do a PhD to get a job in academia. Um, the reality is that the PhD, 80% of PhDs end up outside of academia. Do they lose value in doing that? No. The PhD is very much about the individual. Um, we know that a PhD is a comprehensive piece of work where you develop very strong subject matter expertise. You become an expert in an area. But the reality is what a PhD does is it trains an individual in how to think about a problem, how to identify a problem, how to identify methods or mechanisms to answer the question, to determine whether or not your hypothetical approach is appropriate and commensurate. And then to summarize that in a single document called a thesis. Um, the thesis is not the product of your PhD. The thesis is a demonstration of your ability as a, as a candidate and ultimately as a doctor that you can undertake a multi-year, multidisciplinary project. You can keep your eye on the ball and complete that mission and produce a, sum a summary outcome that is able to be translated and potentially to have impact. Thank you very much, Ed. Sure. Um, 
I am going to finish with this as um, because I'm mindful of time. So yeah. Thank you very much for your time today and the insights you've given. I've got, um, I do have follow-up questions, but I'll come back to you again. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to these conversations on podcast at the Plains FM website. Search Influencers at Lincoln or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.